0: Amen. Let's uh, invite you, if you're able, to please rise. As we now enter in to Lamentations chapter 3, uh, we'll be reading 1 to 33. Here At the, uh, at the conclusion of the reading, I would say this is the word of the Lord, and together we'll, see, we'll say, thanks be to God. The reading of God's word. I'm the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has put my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. So far, the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. The grass will wither and the flowers will fade, but this word of the Lord, our God, will stand firm and true forever. Holy Spirit, take this firm and true words to our hearts this day. Wash over us, guide us, mold us, and shape us in the men and women, the boys and girls that you would desire us to be. We give you thanks for your steadfast love, for your mercy, and for your goodness. Amen. You may be seated. A Schwinn Predator. A Schwinn Predator. These two words were all consuming to a 12-year-old boy, soon to be 13-year-old boy, who had a fancy of flipping through the glossy pages of BMX Rider magazine. It was everything. Found, tucked into the advertisements of this magazine, And oh, how I dreamed I would have a Schwinn Predator at the end of the summer on my birthday as a 13-year-old young boy. Oh, how I desired to to, to feel the knobby pedals under my feet as as I had this bicycle. What must it feel like to have the flex tires of the Predator tear through the, the homemade BMX course that we built as kids in our neighborhood? What must it feel like to to have the shiny aluminum underneath my hands and my body as I tore through and circumnavigated the neighborhood of Denver, Colorado? What must it be like, I imagined all of my friends, that if I were to roll up on a Schwinn Predator and flex, how they would awe. What must it be like? What must the glory be like? And I waited, and I waited all summer. And then the fateful day came. The birthday birthday day came. The the dawning of a whole new world, right? The day when, of course, I'm going to get a Schwinn Predator. And I will be the envy of the neighborhood. The glory was soon to be mine. No doubt. And then I woke up, and I was ushered out onto the front porch, and sure enough, there it was. A Schwinn Predator. I got on that thing as fast as I could and I rode to my closest friend's house and he was flabbergasted just exactly the expression and the emotion that I wanted him to have. Holy cow, I can't believe you have that bike. It was wonderful. I had what I needed now. I had everything. Life was good. I received what I hoped for and it was wonderful and it was joyful and it was a day of celebration. The fulfillment of expectation and hopes and dreams is a joyful thing, isn't it? a day to celebrate we've all had those moments right when we've wanted something when we've we've asked for something we've even prayed for something and we've been given it it is a joyful thing it's a wonderful thing a thing to celebrate and oh how did i celebrate the people of israel had been hoping for decades for generations not for a swine predator <laughs> but for land a place to call home. They'd been longing for generations to be freed from the bondage of Egypt, to be taken away from under the guise of Pharaoh, to no longer be slaves to this kingdom. They wanted out. They'd been praying to be a people again, to be called out of their misery, to be called out into freedom. They'd been hoping for generations that the Lord would give them security that he would give them confidence that he would give them viability that they would again what be a nation that they would have that they would be a people a people with land and prosperity and then that faithful evening comes do you remember Do you remember the night of the Passover when the Lord passed over the homes that had the shed blood of the sacrifice over their door frames And then the day came when the Lord did indeed usher His people out of Egypt and He swallowed Pharaoh's army into the sea. And it was a day to rejoice, a day to celebrate. And the Word of the Lord even recalls a song sung by Moses and Miriam as they sang for joy. The Lord had given them exactly what they'd been asking for, what they'd been praying for, what they'd been hoping for for generations upon generations. It was a day to rejoice. And finally, they would have a place, they would have a land, that they could call their own. They would have an inheritance to, to pass down from generation to generation to generation. This would be who they are. And yet they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and ran after idols of silver and gold and of shiny things like swine predators. They erected these idols and they bowed down to them. They hoped upon hope that they would have an inheritance, but all they had were golden calves. And, desert. and then the day arrived again, did it not? Well, the Lord, by the guidance of Joshua, brought the people of Israel into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then do you remember the story of what God did with that land? He divided up the land into 11 allotments, not 12, because the tribe of Levi, the 12th tribe, was a tribe of priests, and the Lord did not give... The, the tribe of priests of land but he gave them the temple and he gave them these duties but for the other tribes he gave each tribe a portion of land he gave each tribe a portion of land and for those people what did what did that mean what did that portion mean for them it mean that the lord was faithful that he was steadfast in his love and his mercy and his goodness that he was a promise keeper that he fulfilled who he was and who he said he would be And there in this hope is a realized promise of God. They had arrived. They've been and are now a nation. They are a people with land and an inheritance where they were able to see their glimmering crops, see the realization that their Father, the Lord God Yahweh had given them what they had hoped for, what they had prayed for. And it's out of this promise that the Lord gave portions of the land to the people saying, this is how my steadfast love and faithfulness is given to you. I told you I would take you out of bondage. I told you I would call you to myself. I told you I would bring you into a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. I told you I would give you a portion of land, and here you go. You have everything that I promised you. Everything the people of Israel had been hoping for was realized in the portions of the promised land. Here, now, Jeremiah, the supposed author of Lamentations, stands in the middle of the promised land. He stands in the middle of answered prayer. He stands in the middle of a city on a hill. He stands and looks around this promised land, and what does he see? He sees ruin. He sees rubble. He sees people in the streets killing one another for food. And the image just, uh, I've had gravel in my mouth before, but I can't tell you I ground on it. But a powerful image of starvation to the point of trying to get some type of nutrients out of gravel, that they grind it in their teeth. So as Jeremiah looks over Jerusalem in ruin, The portion of the Lord seems to have vanished. For in that moment, he realizes it's not land that matters. It's not a temple that matters. It's not a city. It's not the city walls that matter. It's not these people around that matter to him. What matters? What matters to the author of Lamentations in this moment? What does he say? He says, the Lord is my portion. the Lord is my promise. It's not a thing. It's not a city. It's not an idol. It's a man. It's a relationship. It's a savior. Yahweh. He is my portion. He is everything that I need. There's no measure of land. There's no measure of hope. There is no God or idol nor thing that shines more brightly than the realized promise of the steadfast love of the Lord that never, ever ceases. Even when things have utterly crumbled to the ground. The question that pierces our hearts this morning is very real to all of us this morning. In the middle of turbulent times, Days of confusion, months of struggles, weeks of pain. Where is our hope? Where do we turn? Or maybe a better question is what happens to our hearts when the world is crashing down? or maybe yet even better than that. What happens to our hearts when the world has crashed down? When things have fallen apart? When things are unrepairable? Where do we go? Where do our minds wander to when the pain is too great and the reality of brokenness becomes the reality of our everyday experiences? Where do we turn? What do we do When unmet hopes are unrealized, or when unmet hopes are realized, when you don't get the job you were hoping for, when you don't get the promotion that you were hoping for, or when you lose the job that you had always hoped for. Where do we turn? Where do we turn when the world around us is unfamiliar, strange? unlike anything we've ever experienced before when every element of our lives is different and odd and weird and unmet unprecedented wasn't that a word that we used for the last 14 months everything is unprecedented this has never happened before where do we turn where do we turn when things just don't make sense How many of us turn to despair, to frustration, some to anger and violence, or to a bottle or to a computer screen? Where do we go? Where do we go when it doesn't make sense? Where do we turn when our marriages aren't what we hoped for? when our spouse isn't exactly what we prayed for. When the person that we married isn't everything that we thought, we a the temptation to run, to flee. So as we look further into the book of Lamentations, the hurt and the pain is all too real. And if we're honest with ourselves, as we look around the rubble and the ruin of our hearts and our lives, The pain and the hurt sometimes is more than we can take. And so we run to various forms of medication, don't we? To frustration, to anger, to despair, to the bottle, to the computer, to some level of comfort, to some way to escape, to a novel. In other words, we run to the same place the people of Israel ran to, It may not be a golden calf. We may not fashion it out of bracelets and chains and necklaces, but we fashion it out of our hearts. We fashion it out of things called comfort and gossip, power and control. These are the places we go, aren't they? Because we're hurt. We're hurt that life doesn't have the promises that we had hoped for and now there's a void in our lives. Something that's just not quite right. And so when we come across that void, we do everything that we can to possibly avoid it and run the other way. We turn to these things because it's easier to go to pornography or to a novel or to the bottle than it is to face the hole that we have and the hurt and the pain, isn't it? It's easier to run after these things as we look around the rubble and the ruin of our lives. to fill this need so where do we go the author of Lamentations looking upon this ruin here in chapter 3 and I would say I don't know that he's looking upon the ruin of the city as he's looking upon the ruin of his own life for in the first two chapters there is this very much the idea that he's looking at everything outside right? that the, the things that he's been saying has been look at these people look at look at this city look at the destruction look at the horror look at the terror but now here in chapter 3 it switches and and, and the language turns in on himself and he says i am just as ruined i am just as broken as this city he's filled me with bitterness he's to me with wormwood and gall he has made my teeth grind and gravel He made me answer in the ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. He turns it in on Himself and He says, I am broken. I am tired. I don't have any hope. I don't even hope in God anymore is what He says. Verse 24, He says the thing that He hopes in, the one place that He longs for, like the people in Egypt, what they longed for, is the Lord. Do you see that in verse 24? It says to us, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will have hope. So the author of Lamentations now looks on his Lord as that very promise, the fulfilled promise of inheritance, of security, of guidance, of being in a family, to be called a nation, to be a part of God's family. And so as we look into the caverns and the rubble and the ruins of our own hearts and our own lives, I wonder what is it about the Lord that the author of Lamentations saw that caused him or allowed him to have the ability to to look around the the mess of everything and say, it's the Lord, it's the Lord, He, He is my portion. What is the thing or the things that caused him to say, yes, I can hold on to that? Or I can hope in that kind of goodness. I wondered this out loud to myself this week. What is it about the goodness of the Lord that allowed the author to do just that? I wondered what it is about the Lord that that is good. How is it that goodness is is made manifest to the author and and manifest to me? To us? The Lord's goodness can often be one of those Christianese terms again, can't it? We talk about the goodness of the Lord, but what, what do we mean by the goodness of the Lord? It's one of those attributes that we'll never fully be able to mine, right? We'll never get to the end of the Lord's goodness. But here this morning, I want to try to begin to put a couple shovelfuls into the mine. Perhaps it may prove more beneficial to ask as we wrestle with our lives. We must wrestle with this very attribute, the Lord's goodness. So if we're to hope in the Lord's goodness in our lives this week, what does that hope look like? What does it mean for me today? There's there's so much to the goodness of the Lord, as I said, that we'll never get there. But this morning, I want to just point out two things for us this morning. We hope in the goodness of His mercy. Chapter 3 is a long chapter and it's full of all kinds of craziness and hurt and sorrow and bitterness and anger. But right smack in the middle is this wonderful, wonderful verse. Or a few verses. The author has come to the end of his robe, hasn't he? Even to the point that he no longer has the endurance to hope in the Lord as we see in verses 17 and 18. Let's just read that again here. It says, My soul is bereft of peace. How many of you know what it means to have your souls bereft of peace? of peace, to lie awake at night in anxiety-filled insomnia. How many of us know what it means to be bereft of peace as we wonder, what does tomorrow bring? What is is my family going to look like? What is my job going to look like? What is my nation going to look like? There's, There's just no way to settle down. And here he says, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So many of us over the course of the last few months, this is Been an anthem that we can raise with one another, isn't it? Where's the happiness? Where's the joy in the middle of this crazy time that we find ourselves? So I say, My endurance has perished. In the same sense that a runner, if you've ever run any kind of distance, you come to a point where there's just not another step you can take. Your lungs can't breathe another. Your foot can't go one foot further. And you're just done. And here the author of Lamentations is done. As he looks upon his city and he looks upon his life, he is wrecked. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished, has perished to the point that he doesn't even hope in the Lord. Lord, you promised this, and I look around and it's just garbage. It's ruin. It's rubble. It's broken. I can no longer go any more. And so we ask the same question often, don't we? Where is my deliverance? Where is our portion, Lord? Where is our promised land? Where is my promised land? How many of us have wondered those very same questions that the author of Lamentations is asking or have gotten to the point of, I'm just done. Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm done. I've had enough. How often we doubt the Lord, even, however, when things are going well. We spend some time in Lamentations, obviously talking about lament and sorrow and hurt and pain, but often our doubt and we're done with the Lord because we don't need the Lord, right? We don't need the Lord when we've got everything figured out. We don't need the Lord when everything is great. But there is doubt, whether we're in pain or whether we're in joy. But more acutely, the, the doubt arises in the heartache and the hurt. But when does doubt really take a hold of our lives? Just ask yourself that question just for a moment. When, when do you doubt the Lord the most? Is it in real pain and real hurt? Is it in when things are going well and good? When do you, when does the doubting really anchor into our hearts and our lives when do we question who we are the most when do we question who god is the most when, when is that the most acute when is the most painful when we ask am i worthy it seems to me that doubt is most acute when we've been caught when our brokenness has been found out I doubt the Lord will still love me after that. And as we look back on our lives and we wrestle with our guilt and our shame, doubt floods in, doesn't it? Like a dam that's burst. There's no way God could love me as he looks upon the rubble and the ruin of my heart and my life. When we look back in regret and guilt... Here in Lamentations, we learn that the Lord is treating the author and Israel as his enemies. He has brought back his bow, right? This is the illustration. He has pulled a bow and he's placed an arrow in the bow. And where does he say he releases the bow and where does it land? In his kidney. Well, last time I checked, in order to hit the kidney, you have to be in the back, Right? So the author in the city is running from the Lord and as they run away from God, he points his bow and he releases it and it hits him. They're running in guilt and shame and fear and brokenness. And the Lord treats them as his enemies and the author is saying, I'm done. I can't take it anymore. I've had enough. God, I don't know what's going on. This is too much. We doubt when we've been caught. We run away from the Lord when we realize that we're broken and we're sinful. Just as Adam and Eve said, I'm going to cover myself because I'm naked. Lord, I didn't know you were here. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's the snake's fault. This is the story and the anthem of our lives, isn't it? He did it. We run when we're caught. We doubt when we're caught. Israel has been caught. Jeremiah has been caught. We doubt when we've been found out, when the ruin of our sin has been brought low. Can God really love me even though I've done these things? It's impossible for the Lord to love me. There is no way. And yet something else, however, is true at the very same time according to Lamentations. Lamentations. In the middle of the running the other way, in the middle of the rubble, as he's running away and dodging bricks and stones and bodies, something else is true at the very same time. Even in the middle of the consequences, even in the middle of our hurts and our pains, <clears throat> excuse me, and yes, even in the doubt, something is remembered, and the author remembers continually, verses twenty-two to twenty. Three. And I wonder what it must sound like to Jeremiah. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Great is your faithfulness. Does it sound like that? Do the mercies of the Lord ring in your ears in the middle of the hurt and the pain? This is the hope of the author of Lamentations. In the middle of it all, He sings softly to us. Remember. Remember, my love. The goodness of the Lord's mercy then is where we put our hope. So what is it about the Lord? It's the goodness of his steadfast love every day, every morning. For the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Is there a better picture of the Gospel found in Lamentations chapter 3 than all of Scripture? The brokenness of life and yet the steadfast love of the Lord is in the middle of it every day and it never stops and draws us close. So no matter where we find ourselves this morning, We hope in the goodness of His his mercy just like the dawn of every day. So as we see in the faithfulness, the steadfast faithfulness of the Lord as He spins the earth and we see the sun afresh each and every day, we have a new opportunity to experience and to know His goodness and His grace and His love and His mercy each and every day no matter what happened yesterday. This is the goodness that we hope in. For there's no greater mercy, no greater display of grace than as we look upon the ruin of our lives, we lift our gazes and we look at a cross. We look not at a cross still with Jesus on it, but we look at an empty cross and we look into an empty tomb and we see there is no greater mercy than this. There is no greater grace than the one that hung on a tree that was crushed in the very same sense that Jerusalem was crushed. He wasn't pierced by an arrow, but he was pierced by a sword. He wasn't pierced by an arrow, but he was pierced by nails that hung him to a tree. And he did that so the arrow would not come our way. The bow would not be pointed at us, but he pointed his bow at his own son, Jesus Christ. For our ruin and because of our brokenness, it's then and there where we experience grace. It's there where we're drawn as the women are drawn to see an empty tomb. So too, we look and see His mercy. His grace is new. This is the goodness of mercy that we can hope in. And furthermore, as we remember the afflictions of our lives, as we walk among the ruin of unmet hopes and and dreams, as we wrestle with the brokenness of our realities, the Lord provides us each with mercy and grace and couples that with goodness of His compassion. Do you see that here as it ends up, the the chapter verses that we read? Many of us feel the Lord this morning is somehow a cruel and an angry and a vengeful God looking for just the right opportunity to condemn us. Many of us in the moment of despair, depression, and loneliness confront the Lord in fear and in trembling, wonder, what are you going to do now? Can you really deal with me? And we have an intense insecurity, don't we? Many of us then face our shame and our guilt for the things that we've done and, and left undone in the darkness of loneliness, trying to figure it out on our own. Because the Lord Himself isn't even able to deal with me. Why would the Lord want to deal with me? Why would the holy and righteous God of the universe want to draw near to me it's in these moments we find the tragedy of the human brokenness don't we the tragedy that says the steadfast lord the steadfast love of the lord never ceases but it will not and cannot find me it may be for somebody else but i'm over the edge Some of you, I'm aware, and I know that you know this tragedy far too well. Friends, beloved, can I direct your attention to the author of Lamentations in chapter 3 as he looks upon the righteous judgment of the city of Jerusalem? Can I direct your hearts to verses 31 to 33? If you find yourself here this morning wondering, does God... Come near to me. Is my sin too great? Is my life too much? Is my family too broken? Are we too messed up? Is this church too broken, too messed up? Is my job, is my boss, is my marriage, is my family? Friends, let me turn our attention to verses 31 to 33. For the Lord will not cast off Forever. But though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. What is the abundance of his steadfast love? That it's new every morning. That he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Friends, the Lord is near. He is compassion and he will not cast you off forever. There may be seasons, there may be times when it feels like you're off into space, untethered from the earth, untethered from community, from church, from family, from life. The Lord will not cast you off forever. You are not too far gone. He says, my steadfast love is new every morning and it's for you. This then is the steadfast love which is anchored in the accomplished work of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Therefore, our hope is not in some level of obedience or, or bicycles or land or jobs or bank accounts or churches or pastors or elders or deacons, wives, husbands, children. Our hope is in the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. And that He wants relationship with you because he loves you and he says, I will not cast you off. This is how the author of Lamentations can say, the Lord is my portion. And because of that, we have hope. Beloved, find hope in the struggle. Find hope in the goodness of the steadfast love and the steadfast mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we praise you that you were cast off so that we would not be. We praise you that you were pierced so that we would not be. We praise you that you died so we would live. We praise you that you look upon the ruin and the rubble of our lives and you still draw near and you still love and you don't cast us off. So Lord, we pray that you would uphold your promise to what you told us here in Lamentations and what you tell us through Jesus in the Gospels, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, and your mercies will be new today as they are tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that and forevermore. For you are a good, steadfast, loving God who loves us because of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.